This Tennis.com podcast is brought to you by the head Utech Star Series, offering more power, more control, and more comfort to your tennis game. Head, the power of you. And now here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hey guys, Tennis.com podcast here, middle December edition with Steve Tigner, Richard Pagliaro, and I'm Ed McGrogan. So with tournaments done, we're thinking about sort of looking back, looking forward a little bit. We're going to save a prediction podcast for later in the month. that will probably close out the month. But we wanted to look back at uh, some of our favorite matches of the season um, between us three here. And, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but I actually kind of lucked out this year. I ran to a, a bunch of good ones. I went to Wimbledon U.S. Open, and first match I end up walking into is the first match there, Federer Faya. Uh, caught a couple, caught 24 games of Isner Mahout. And then at the U.S. Open, I stumbled on the Harrison uh, Stachowski match. So it was, per- personally at least, it was a pretty good year for me watching matches. What were what were some of the best ones you guys saw in person that we can kind of go maybe just take the best ones overall? In person. Um, what the, I was at the also at the Harrison Stachowski match. That was great. I mean, it was, it's one of those things though where you, where you're, if you start out a match, I was there at the beginning and, and it started out well and you knew it was going to be a good match and, and Harrison had the crowd fired up and, and he had a real energy and, and Stokowski, I mean, Stokowski as well reacted, reacted well to the, to the crowd, um, despite the crowd being completely against him. But it's one of those ones where when you're there, it's almost unfortunate. You, you can't stay, can't stay for all five sets. <laughs> I was, I was going to ask, I mean, we, us in our profession, it's, it's nearly impossible to do that, to catch it all. But even, even when you think about just looking, thinking back to when I was just going, just watching, I mean, that's a big commitment just to yeah, do yeah, any sort absolutely. of grand slam match for that length of time. I think there was actually a small rain delay in that match too, but yeah, you, you take the whole afternoon for the, but for that match, um, I was actually impressed by, you know, as good as Harrison, as well as Harrison played, I was impressed by Stokowski, just the way he handled the situation. He had a good humor about it. He had a, you know, he, he could have gotten, could have gotten upset about, about the crowd's partisanship, but then, and he also came through at the end. Like we, you know, we talked about how Harrison blew the three match points, but Stokowski played those well. It was, you know, he didn't end up doing anything significant the rest of the year, but it seemed like a, a good, a good, um, performance from from Stokowski, a guy who has sort of not quite lived up to his junior expectations. Him and him and Dolgopolov actually Ukraine not too weak. They, they actually have some pretty good guys. Yeah, they I, do. I, I they really say. do. He's kind of a quirky fellow. Yeah, I yeah. saw yeah I saw him at Wimbledon as well. Um, and then the rest of the I'm just I guess we'll at the open there. I mean I think I think most of us would say that the the quality match of the open. Was the Federer Djokovic semi the the final? When I think about the final, the Djokovic and the Dahl final, I think that it's uh, after the Djokovic went over Federer and and Nadal took that match in four sets. There was there were some points that I do remember. Kind of, it could still go either way. I, I certainly wouldn't put it a match the year but i think that's a sort of a forgotten final a little bit too but were you at that richard yeah and i think that's one like you said people are going to look back a few years from now when they replay highlight i mean there were some fantastic rallies in that match i just think that this physical disparity even though they had the rain delay i mean he went five with fetter and natal just rolled through the semi and natal was just so just stronger i thought yeah what i what i remember from djokovic 
Federer, actually, is I, I recall it was an interesting U.S. Open series. I remember kind of leading in because you had you had Murray, who looked kind of untouchable in Toronto for a while. And, and I even remember in that tournament where Djokovic played Federer and Federer won in three. But I do I do recall seeing some, something of something a little more energy out of Djokovic at that point. And he, and he just seemed to coalesce at the Open. And he you know he got away with a couple of couple of dog matches I thought at the start but that it turned out to be you know one of the most memorable ones of the year and just the th- the third of four Federer matches where he blew match points this year which is a really really stunning thing that was a, the dramatic match in, in in but that that's what overshadowed the final but I was you know being there for both of them I preferred the final for the for the shot making yeah. um it, it was not there were moments when it was in doubt. I thought more than more than maybe some people would have thought. Maybe just being there, you felt like there was a there was a big a big crowd energy that could surge either way. And they they weren't they were for Nadal, but they were also for Djokovic as the underdog as, as to making it a good match. And I felt like that was that was a little that match was slightly underrated. For yeah, me. I think the sustained quality of the final was higher because Federer had dips and lapses in that semi where he just didn't he just couldn't get it together some of those sets he lost but it was still a really exciting match like you said the match points and that he went for the forehands on the match points too i mean he didn't it wasn't like Federer gave him the match i mean he really stepped up on those two matt Djokovic did a great job on on those absolutely yeah um well we obviously be remiss not giving some full attention to to the isner mahout match which we just mentioned earlier i was uh when i went to wimbledon there i was um the the second day began, so I, I went to I went to court eighteen, kind of kind of just seeing that it was a nice you know you're gonna see the like we're talking about commitment here you get to jump in right into a fifth set, see what happens and I I stayed for the first twenty four games of it and then at that point I kind of sensed that I didn't sense what was gonna happen but I sensed that it was it was a pretty incredible result either way already at that point and then it just keeps building and building and building. And I remember walking back from the from the All England Club that day, tied fifty nine, fifty nine, and that almost that was almost more of a surreal sort of moment for me than when the when the finality when it ended. Just thinking that it was there, nothing had been resolved yet after two days, hundred eight game fifth set at that point is just you know a truly, I feel like one of the stunning things in in all of sports that you'll anybody will ever see. Uh, yeah, when when they started the second day, I, I remember thinking they were holding so easily, and neither guy seemed even to you know have even have a chance at a break. I remember thinking like this match is gonna this match could end up being being held a second day just because it didn't seem like Isner didn't have the return game, Mahut didn't have the return game. They both were serving out of their minds. Um, it was you know it wasn't exciting point to point, but there was something awesome about the match about about Mahut holding, saving, serving to stay in the match 60 times, 62, 62 times. And Isner, he was physically more spent, but just staying alive with his with his serve and with some really fantastic forehands. He played, you know, it was it was a, not an exciting match, but it was, it was well played by, for by all, both for, guys. For all that, there, for all those games, there, you remember the a lot of the winners more than, it wasn't like an oddly an error-strewn yeah. match. It was mostly, yeah. you know... Cut and dry, as we kind of saw there. Yeah, I thought Mahut for me like tremendous grace. After you pour all your heart, your physicality, your mind into that, and then to stand there and do the photos to sign. I mean, the guy was crushed, devastated after that, and I thought he just showed so much 
class, the way he he realized he was it was he, it was something bigger than him and bigger than winning and losing. But still, it's it's hard to stand out there and smile and take pictures and everything after you've just committed three days of your life to something that didn't work out the way you had hoped. What's amazing is they come out for the third day and still uh, play play what was it eleven. 11 nine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the longer sets of the, of the tournament. Exactly. Yeah. That's. Yeah. That's exactly. Right. Yeah. And Mahout, I believe, in the qualifying had like a 24 22, you know, yeah, just, yeah. To, to qualify. Yeah. Peanuts or something. Yeah. So it's just a, just an incredible tournament in so many ways for that. Um, and I don't want to spoil anything, but I know that on the site in the next couple weeks, we're going to have what Steve did last year with the, he'll post his top 10 matches of the year. Uh, you can probably imagine some of these we'll be talking about. We'll, we'll figure their way into there. And uh, one that I know we were talking about that you mentioned was an, also Wimbledon before we get to the other tournaments uh, was the Murray-Nadal semi. And, um, you know, I, when I was when I was there, I, Murray was playing very well through the first, um, you know, that's that's six rounds deep already. Nadal, Nadal actually had uh, a couple five-setters early on against Hassa and uh, someone else along the way. Pechner, right? Pechner, Pechner yeah. yeah. And um, But I, I recall Murray, you know, I feel like if, if, if Murray is to win a slam, I think strangely enough, it, it, it Wimbledon is as good a place to do it as any, I think. I think he gets low to the ground. That's where the ball kind of goes. But I remember that, um, you know, this was, I think that may have been Nadal's, one of his highlights of the year, not even in a final, but just in a semi. And he took him out. You know, Murray kind of gave him his best shots, and Nadal still took him out. Actually, that there. wasn't the match I was talking about that being in the top 10. It's the one that was in London, the World Tour final. Oh, oh. Well, <laughs> remember um, that one? That was just that a couple weeks ago. Yeah, that was uh, unbelievable. <laughs> but well, that was my Murray analysis. Point. That was um, <laughs> still appropriate, though. Still yeah, yeah. appropriate. No, that, was still, that match, the Wimbledon Nadal Murray match to me was amazing for this for the way Nadal finished the tiebreaker. I think it was the second set tiebreaker. Murray had played a couple of great points, and then Nadal just comes out and plays plays at 5-6 down a set point, just goes for it all on a forehand, then comes in and hits a drop volley winner. And right then you get the feeling like he just he just knows he's going to win this match. But the, but the later one, London, the World Tour final one, that's the one to me that was the most like sort of the classic Nadal matches it he ekes out at the end in, in these these seesaw sort of titanic physical struggles um murray it was murray this year last year it was Djokovic, but you got the feeling at the end of that match at nadal he just i just can't remember times when he loses that type of match if he gets if he gets in you know if it's close and it's at the end and it's a real physical struggle he just he just doesn't, doesn't it's very it's very those. it's very hard to remember yeah just trying to think of one that um that went against him yeah i mean he's become such a good I think such a good front runner as well, but like you said, all he's, I mean, he's had that since the beginning of his career. When you go back to those, you know, those classics in 06 against Federer and Rome and things like that, he just, just always narrowly finds a way to escape there at the end, too. This tennis.com podcast is brought to you by Head Utech Star Series, offering more power, more control, and more comfort to your tennis game. The Utech Star Series is geared for players looking to add more power to their game and was developed with the help of tennis legends Andre Agassi and Stephanie Graf. Head to your local tennis store and check out the Utech 6-star, 5-star, 4-star, and 3-star models to amplify your game. And for a limited time, purchase any Head Utech racket and receive a free backpack. Visit headpromo.com to find a store in your area. 
continuing our backtracking of the slams going back from and it's it seemed that most of the top matches this year there's there's a few exceptions i think we can we can bring up in a little bit but um as is kind of the case the slams tend to tend to bring out the best stuff and some of the most memorable stuff at the french i think most people take away what francesca Schiavone did running uh getting to the title match and even at that point i it was still kind of a i think most people were kind of waiting waiting for sam stozer to get that really significant win and, and this of course would be as good as any and Schiavone ends up beating her in straights um of course second set tiebreaker um but just that was you know one of the feel-good performances of the year for sure and, yeah, uh, and I, I like the fact that, you know, Schiavone was so honest with herself going into that final because she knew if I stay back with Stoser, um, I have no chance. Stoser had beaten Hennen and Serena. People forget Serena was up in that match. And if Serena would have held on and win that match, who knew we might be talking about her maybe going for the single season slam. But I think Schiavone was really honest and she knew, look, this girl's just too powerful. If I try to play from the back, I'm going to lose. And so I think that took a lot of just honesty with herself and also guts that she, you never see a woman on a clay court come in and volley the way that she did. And I think it validated her in a sense, because if you remember the semi with Dementieva, a lot of the people thought Dementieva just packed it in and Schiavone kind of got lucky to kind of squeeze in there. Right. So I think she really turned around something that was a potentially a negative into it. And it was one of the emotional moment of the season in women's tennis, you could say. It's also just the way she won, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the best match of the year. It was the best performance of the year. And it was probably, I would say, the most, to me, the most enjoyable match to watch. Just the way she, the way she grabbed the moment in the yeah, tiebreaker and just kept kept yeah. going for it and kept getting better. Like how, you know, how often do you see that? Very rarely in that situation. And she knew this was her one chance, and she she took that chance instead of instead of being scared of it. So. And here's a girl like 5'5", five, five, and Stoser has maybe the best kick serve in women's tennis. Her forehand, it's kicking up so high. She, time and that brilliant just beautiful timing that she knew her core positioning she just played such a smart match i, th- I think you could say stozer probably felt the moment in that one too yeah. in addition to husky yeah she played, looked but... like afterwards yeah. like she she didn't know quite what hit her you know it was it still hadn't sunk in that she'd actually lost i'm sure she thought she was going to win i, I think that was one of those if she could have pulled out the Second set tiebreak, maybe she would have found her comfort zone because she played so well against hen and so well against serena but definitely the moment got but she still played a solid match. She just didn't. Well, wasn't a match. Another match from the French. I'm just thinking of now. Wasn't a match of the year in terms of quality. But what do you guys remember a little bit from from Sorteling taking out Federer, stopping the the semifinal streak and all that? What do you guys remember a little about that match? Uh, maybe maybe about Federer more than anything. I, I think we saw what Sorteling. Um, of course, when he beat Nadal last year, made the final. He ends up making the final again this year. The guy obviously is devastating um, when he's got the time to set up the shots and when when they're falling in like that. But what do you guys remember? I guess out of Federer from that match, I didn't feel like there was that much he could have done. Soderling just I, that was one of those ones where he just played too well and he was he felt like it's fine. I'm finally this is my finally I'm going to beat Federer. You know this it's been too long. I've lost too many matches, too many pretty close matches. Felt like he just went for his shots and he had he had too much. I didn't feel like there was that much. You could say that Federer did poorly. He was he was knocked off the baseline by a, by a, that day a more powerful player. That's almost the same way he was by Do, last three last couple of sets by Del Potro at the, at the U.S. Open. The what year about Burdich too at Wimbledon? From what I remember. Yeah. 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 
And I remember that day, the conditions, it was such a heavy day for him to hit through the court and hit through Federer that effectively when it's slow, it's heavy, it's soggy. He was just blistering the ball. I mean, he, I think you're right. I mean, Federer, he did try to take the pace off. He tried to play higher. He tried to throw a variety of things at him to just derail him, and he couldn't. Yeah. And that's why I think he was much more accepting of that loss than the Burditch at Wimbledon, where he talked a little bit about the injuries and things like that. I think in French, he was pretty much up front. He just got outplayed that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Soderling was due. He was yeah, due he was. He'd, he was. He'd played the same kind of match against Nadal the year before in the, in the same round at the French. So he had to feel comfortable there. He had to feel like he had, he had a shot that day. Yeah. Um, and then we'll go back again, further back to now 11 months ago. Uh, I remember when we were talking about January, we were talking about how it, it, it could have been said that I think the women's tennis season started off uh, a little stronger than the men's. If you kind of look back at the Aussie Open results, I'm thinking back to some of we, we had um, Murray gets Murray gets a major final again. There was a great tiebreaker in the match at Federer. That's how he won it. But other than that, it was a kind of a, the usual script. Federer absolutely annihilated Sangha in the semis. was kind of a ho-hum men's term, but you had in the women's tournament, you had um, Serena ended in the final, kind of a maybe a dream final for a lot of people going in. And then before that in Brisbane, you had Kleisters then and play one of the matches of the year too. So the women's game got off to a very strong uh, start in 2010. Uh, what, uh, which of those matches you guys uh, you guys well, like the Well, the Kleisters-Hennon match, that did seem to promise so much, in the one in Brisbane. They played two more, neither of which were as good. They they um, they played in Kibis game, which was kind of a mess, even though it was a, it was a dramatic match. But the Brisbane one was the one that was the highest quality with, with the drama. Kleisters typically got off to a lead and, and then got tight and Hennon came back and then Kleister's sort of won in her second chance, which seems to be seemed to be her style this year. Um, but that's too, you know that's that's too bad. By the, by the middle of the year, Hennen was gone. Kleister's didn't end up being. She had a bad Australian Open, which sort of opened the door for Hennen and Serena to make the final. And they played a, a very good three-set match. The thing I remember most about that match was was Serena sort of taking Hennen's best stuff in the from the second set and the beginning of the third and just raising her level above Justine's just, there was nothing Justine could do about it. I remember after Serena coming into the press conference and the fan, yeah, she's actually down in the third set. The fan who yells out, you can beat her, Justine. She's not that good. And they say, <laughs> here's someone say. 13 and three lifetime in major finals, just to see Serena go three sets in a major final is something and it's but to say that i mean talk about the quote of the year and she did say after that that totally fired her up like she felt she felt first of all the crowd was for the underdog which they were i don't think they were against her they were just for justine and the comeback but you could just see her emotionally how she can just turn it on and you know when you saw her steamroll through wimbledon just to take her to a third set it especially for someone who hadn't played in so long i thought that was just it from both ends, just really exceptional. But you see when Serena really wants to pick it up, what she's capable of. Now, now Richard, I, I want to mention one thing before we go. We, uh, we, were, we were kind of discussing this before, what we thought were some of the some of our favorite matches. You, you mentioned one that I think uh, I, I, certainly, I overlooked as well. We were kind of talking about doubles. There was the Davis Cup doubles with, with uh, that just happened last week. But you also mentioned 
U.S. Open doubles final. You were there for that. Why don't you just kind of talk about that a little bit, what uh, what you saw in that one? I, that's the first time, and I've watched the Bryan brothers since they turned pro, that I can recall them playing in the United States where they weren't like the overwhelming crowd. I mean, certainly more of the crowd was for them, but because the Indian Pakistani, this seeing is, the fans and Qureshi, yeah, right? Yeah. Seeing the fans, first of all, just side by side, the unity, but also just seeing for a doubles Grand Slam final at the U.S. Open, you know, you've been there, how they used to schedule them early. There'd be maybe five, 6,000. I mean, to see a full pack stadium and to see the final go 7-6, seven, 7-6, six, seven, six, and the Bryans were down in both breakers. And I just thought the spirit, the intensity of that match, and afterwards how they, you know, made the donation to the uh, relief effort. and all. It was just a really fun, high-quality, spirited doubles and one that people really really got into i talked to a lot of fans after and they thought that was one of the best matches you know singles doubles men's women's that they had seen right uh, i thought it was a great it was a blast to see it and the brian's also 11 and 0 in finals last year i mean to lift it up it's there, probably like the that. year of the brian brothers if yeah you know, <laughs> of anybody yeah if you want to go that way um so you guys are ready to come back for worse matches of the year next week possibly that sounds good that sounds, sounds good. like that's play. when you and i play it's the worst match oh, of the year. that's thursday that's thursday in hawthorne new york uh anyways we'll be back next week with another podcast uh, for richard paglaro steve tigner and edmund rogan thanks for listening this tennis.com podcast was brought to you by the head utex star series offering more power more control and more comfort to your tennis game head the power of you For more news and information, head over to Tennis.com. Thanks for listening.